This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. We like to make good news, at least a small section of every single show we do. There are times when we're hard-pressed to find a solid nugget of good news. Fortunately, that's not the case this week. And while we have openly mocked the spectacle that every year is the Academy Awards, we do acknowledge the fact that the attention that a movie can receive by winning an Oscar can get a lot of people to see it. And if it's a worthy endeavor, that can be a very good thing. So it is that on today's program, we're not going to concentrate on the Razzies like we promised last week, but instead talk about the Oscars, at least the fact that the Edward Snowden documentary Citizen Four won Best Documentary at the Oscars last Sunday night. And while it'd be nice to think that we live in the kind of society where Edward Snowden could have actually shown up and taken part in the ceremony, well, uh, sadly, we're not there yet. But I think because of the actions of the Motion Picture Academy, HBO decided to go ahead and broadcast the movie Wednesday night, where I was able to see almost all of it. Now, when it was in the theaters, uh, this correspondent attempted to go take it in, but, but was unable to do so because of the fact that it was only playing in San Rafael and a couple other places in the Bay Area and a very limited engagement. I don't think it ever did make it to the greater Sacramento slash Davis area. Actually, Mr. Millen corrects me on this. I know it played for a week. <laughs> we went to go see it on a Thursday, and the last show in town was 11 a.m. that day. So we do think that the powers that be were not keen on giving Citizen Four wide distribution, but hopefully it will now get what it deserves. It is indeed a riveting documentary, seeing young Mr. Snowden come forward to tell what he knew. He had virtually unlimited access to the files and data collected by the National Security Agency, and his revealing of the data has caused an international sensation for good reason. The Huffington Post notes that the film tells the story of Snowden's 2013 NSA leaks. Filmmaker Laura Protras traveled to Hong Kong to meet with Snowden. Citizen Four analyzed the impact of the surveillance documents he revealed, as well as his role as a public figure threatening to eclipse the story he unmasked. It was fascinating to see him talking in the camera and saying, well, at some point they're going to make this about me. And they did try, but it wasn't enough of a distraction to take the eyes of the public off the stunning revelations that we're being listened to and recorded far more pervasively than we had any idea. And worse, that NSA officials have gone before Congress and the public and just flat out lied about it. In the wake of Oscar night, Edward Snowden said in a statement released by the ACLU, when Laura Portress asked me if she could film our encounters, I was extremely reluctant. I'm grateful that I allowed her to persuade me. The result is a brave and brilliant film that deserves the honor and recognition it has received. My hope is that this award will encourage more people to see the film and be inspired by its message that ordinary citizens working together can change the world. So there you have it. You haven't had a chance to see Citizen Four. We hope, dear listener, that you will avail yourself of it. And then drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com and let us know what you think. And if we get a chance later in the show, we're going to t educate you from Peter Dale Scott's book, The American Deep State, a little bit more about the company that Edward Snowden was working for, Booz Allen Hamilton, a company you should know something about. 
But let us jump at this point into the way we usually like to start the program, which is to begin with on this date in history. Our date in question today is the 26th of February. And by the way, this is not one of history's more scintillating days. Although we do note that it was on February 26th in 1878 that the French lexicographer Paul-Emile Littré coined the term microbe. On February 26, 1935, the first radar system was demonstrated in England, tracking a Royal Air Force bomber. The invention would prove crucial to Great Britain's defenses in World War II. And it was on February 26, 1993, that a bomb exploded in the parking garage beneath the World Trade Center in New York, left a crater 60 feet wide, and caused the collapse of several steel-reinforced concrete floors. Although the terrorist bomb failed to crucially damage the main structure of the skyscraper, six people were killed and more than a thousand were injured. The attack was planned by the Islamic radical Ramzi Ahmed Youssef and a few other people who were associated with the subsequent more successful attack on September 11, 2001. Our quote of the day comes from Ronald Reagan in what may be the first of several mini Reagan impressions. Said America's 40th president, the difference between a republic and a people's republic is a lot like the difference between a jacket and a straight jacket. And uh, one look at Kim Jong-un's new haircut, and you have to think that Reagan was on to something there. Our quip of the day comes from Pablo Picasso, who once said, the chief enemy of creativity is good sense. Well, to that I would say we know that Picasso was creative, but he also showed a lot of good sense by paying for his restaurant meal by drawing on the tablecloth. Voila, a Picasso. Don't you wish you could pull that one off? Our stat of the day is that this year, global consumption of sugar is expected to reach a record high of 171 million tons. That's according to a report from the USDA. The average American is now consuming 23 teaspoons of added sugar each day, much of it in prepared foods and drinks. That's according to Vox.com. The next item I'm not quite sure where to put in the program, so I guess we'll put it in our sort of anecdote section of the day. Being a physician, I guess I can say this represents anecdotal evidence for me and other docs, at least for the last generation. But here's the story. For decades, health experts have issued stark warnings that foods high in fat and cholesterol cause heart disease and other illnesses. But new research has determined that these guidelines, which prompted millions to shun red meat and eggs, were not supported by good evidence, and were, in fact, in error. In the late 1970s, Americans were encouraged to reduce their fat intake to about 30% of their total daily calories. But after reviewing the research available at that time, a team of British scientists has concluded there was never any evidence that eating less fat would help reduce the risk of heart disease. When Americans were told to avoid meat, dairy, and fat, they increased their consumption of simple carbohydrates like sugar, white bread, pasta, and other processed foods, which can be considered the real driving forces behind our current epidemic of obesity, diabetes, and heart disease. The Week noted that Nina Teicholz, who's written a book on this topic, says the obesity epidemic basically began with the first dietary guidelines. Meanwhile, the U.S. Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee is no longer classifying cholesterol as a nutrient of concern. The decision, which reverses four decades of government advice, reflects recent research suggesting that eating foods high in cholesterol does not significantly raise cholesterol levels in the blood. 
or increase the risk of heart diseases. Genetics, it turns out, has a much greater effect on cholesterol levels than diet. Said Stephen Nissen of the Cleveland Clinics, we got the dietary guidelines wrong, and they've been wrong for decades. So, um, on behalf of the medical industry, sorry. Now, about a year and a half ago, or was it two years ago, we were talking about Dr. Robert Lustig over at UC San Francisco and his um, video, which apparently has been seen by, I don't know, about a jillion people, talking about how bad sugar is. One of the points stressed by Lustig in that video was that back in the 1970s, we started talking about fats and cholesterol, and we basically got off the bandwagon, which had been started before that, looking at how bad sugar was for us. So for the past four decades or so, sugar's been given a pass while everybody's been talking about how bad cholesterol and fats were. Well, it turns out now, based on what we just told you, that Lustig was onto something, meaning that we really do need to get him on this program. Our obesity epidemic is certainly not just a simple matter of, you know, um, too much sugar and not enough fat, that's for sure. But obviously these things are more nuanced than the public has been led to believe and we need to talk more about it. Today's joke comes from the writers for Jimmy Fallon, who noted recently Chinese President Xi Jinping is planning to make his first official state visit to the United States. I'm worried it may get a little awkward when he visits a school and says, boy, your factory's output looks really poor. Maybe a good time to jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was a good week last week for fair and balanced news reporting with the news that a North Carolina newspaper ran a correction stating that President Obama is not the Antichrist. The clarification was based on a letter to the editor that was headlined, Is Obama the Antichrist? The letter's author, Peter Boyd, quote, does not believe President Obama is the Antichrist who will come after the seven kings, according to Revelation, wrote the Lexington Dispatch, adding, quote, he thinks Obama could be the seventh king, unquote. Well, thanks for the clarification. We're not sure how Mr. Boyd feels about Obama in relation to either the seven dwarfs or the seven deadly sins. Or, for that matter, the seven-year itch. None of which figure prominently into the normal dingbat evaluations of the Book of Revelations. Itself, something of a dingbat document. To which I hasten to add that the opinion that the Book of Revelations is a dingbat document, like all opinions voiced on this program, does not necessarily reflect the opinion of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. Or for that matter, most dingbats we know. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for getting conked in the head, at least potentially, with the news that the FAA this week released its long-awaited proposed rules for commercial drone use, paving the way for a new era in which unmanned aircraft become commonplace in the skies, to which I editorialize, God forbid. But you may take solace in knowing that the FAA rules state that drones must weigh less than 55 pounds and fly at a maximum speed of 100 miles an hour, no more than 500 feet above the ground. Yes, anyone who's been struck by a 54-pound drone moving at the speed of a major league fastball may 
We think it's fair to surmise regret this rule, but they are saying that drones cannot be flown at night or over densely populated areas, essentially prohibiting Amazon's plan to have unmanned aircraft deliver packages and noting that pilots must pass special aeronautical knowledge tests. Once these rules are reviewed and finalized, a process expected to take until 2017, the FAA estimates that around 7,000 businesses will receive drone permits. And Radio Products would just like to suggest that if you think this is probably a good idea, next time you're in the gym, go over to the barbell set and heft the 55-pounders. And keep in mind that that much mass can be coming at you 100 miles an hour, 500 feet above your head, legally. (laughs) Meaning, of course, that if the engine fails and it comes dropping out of the sky, it could be starting from the height of the Washington Monument, legally. And one more, actually. We have an item that is both good, but but I suppose bad. Here's the story. Guards at a Brazilian prison opened the gates to let in three women in dominatrix gear who offered to engage in an orgy, a ploy that led to the escape of 28 inmates. Yes, the authorities in Brazil say the scantily clad seductresses appeared at the prison in the middle of the night and persuaded the officers to let them into their sleeping quarters. The women, one of whom is thought to be an inmate's girlfriend, then handcuffed and drugged the guards with spiked whiskey before opening all the cells. Said a police spokesperson, whoever wanted to escape left by the front door. Frankly, we find this considerably more clever than carving a piece of soap in the shape of a pistol. Fortunately, the guards who allowed themselves to be persuaded to be handcuffed and drugged have now found employment with the Department of Homeland Security. But I hasten to add to anyone out there who may get the chance to frisk me next time I fly, I'm just kidding. Now, someone apparently does not own up to kidding is Rudy Giuliani. After making some controversial comments that President Obama doesn't love America, Giuliani then went on to tell the New York Daily News, look, this man was brought up basically in a white family, so whatever he learned or didn't learn, I attribute this more to the influence of communism and socialism than to his race. Sticking his foot further down into his throat, he then added, I don't see this president as being particularly a product of African-American society or something like that. He isn't. Logically, think about his background. The ideas that are troubling me and are leading to this come from communists with whom he associated when he was nine years old. Noted the New York Daily News, when Obama was nine and living in Indonesia with his mother and stepfather, he did get introduced to Frank Marshall Davis, who was a member of the Communist Party. Of course, there's one little added bit of comedy relief to the story is that other GOP presidential hopefuls have backed away from Giuliani's statement for the most part, Former Florida governor and election stealer Jeb Bush said he, quote, doesn't question President Obama's motives. He does question President Obama's disastrous policies, unquote. And we just have to pause, take a breath for a moment and say, yes, as opposed to those of your brother, which were so non-disastrous. We should probably wrap up this segment in a moment, but I can't resist noting that at last, rumor has it, Hollywood may have produced a movie so bad that it may actually eclipse John Travolta's Battlefield Earth. It's called Jupiter Ascending. And to quote briefly from some comments about this movie, we have this from the Miami Herald. Using a script worth $2 at best, these sibling filmmakers have produced a hackneyed, surprisingly dull sci-fi fantasy that Warner Brothers spent $175 million to make. 
The Boston Globe said some decent actors are thrown under the spaceship along the way. The New York Post said that when Jupiter Ascending hit theaters, it became an instant candidate for the So Bad It's Sort of Great Hall of Fame. And if you've seen this movie, please drop us a line at info at radioparallax.com. Anyway, someone we haven't heard mouth off for a while is our good pal, Mr. Will Durst. Let's correct that deficiency. Hey guys, Will Durst here with a few choice words concerning NBC News anchor Brian Williams misremembering about being shot down in a helicopter on a trip to Iraq when the facts seem to indicate that although he did fly in a helicopter, he was not shot down. Well, come on, the guy was close. Easy to see how this could happen. I mean, who hasn't fudged the particulars of an exciting incident to make oneself a more central character on television? in front of the entire nation for 12 years. Hell, Ronald Reagan used to regale the press with exciting stories about when he was in the Navy, when what he really was talking about were the exciting times he had making a movie about being in the Navy. At least Brian Williams was referring to something that happened in real life, albeit to someone else. Besides, he's not alone in being unable to pin down the actual events. The flight engineer and the pilot of his Chinook differ in their recollections as well. So it seems misremembering might be contagious. This thing is more complicated than the assembly instructions to a combination wine rack bookcase on wheels. The problem is, Brian's job as a news guy sort of depends on credibility. I mean, what's going to happen if he has to report on a different RPG attack on a helicopter? Or a case of stolen honor? Might it not appear a tiny bit ironic on air? Be like Tiger Woods giving a speech on marital fidelity? Or Kim Kardashian tweeting about shameless hucksterism? Bill Cosby holding forth on family values? Tom Brady interviewing Lance Armstrong? To atone for his gaffe, William should go to Disneyland and contract the measles. Of course, he could always quit and move over to Fox News. He'd fit right in. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. It's our great pleasure to bring you Mr. Will Durst on a regular basis, and he is right about Ronald Reagan. We would like to quote from Salon.com, which notes that Reagan's fabrications also included some whoppers about conflict zones reminiscent of those put forward by Brian Williams. He told Israeli Prime Minister Yitzhak Shamir in November of 1983 that during his service in the U.S. Army Film Corps, he and fellow members of his unit personally shot footage of the Nazis' concentration camps as they were liberated. Reagan would tell the story again to others, including Holocaust survivor Simon Wiesenthal. In fact, Reagan was never present at the liberation of Dachau, Auschwitz, etc. He spent the war in Culver City, California, where he did process footage from the liberation of the camps. Supposedly. Yes, and we should quote a line or two from the Gipper that didn't turn out to be quite so accurate. Such as, Approximately 80% of our air pollution stems from hydrocarbons released by vegetation. So let's not go overboard in setting and enforcing tough emission standards for man-made sources. <laughs> let's just say that was not correct. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. 
the U.S. Geological Survey has told me that the proven potential for oil in Alaska alone is greater than the proven reserves in Saudi Arabia. Reagan was quoted by the Detroit Free Press in March of 1980 in saying that, but we do know that according to the USGS, the Saudi reserves of 165 billion barrels are in fact 17 times the proven reserves of Alaska. And lastly, all the waste in a year from a nuclear power plant can be stored under a desk. Reagan said that in Vermont back in 1980, but in reality, the average nuclear reactor generates 30 tons of radioactive waste each year. And on that note, let's take a short break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Stick around. we got lots more. <laughs> 